You know, as uh, Pastor Peter has emphasized in this particular focus in 2022, he's, he's emphasized the four values that he wants, uh, he wants to be our identity, the thing that characterizes us at City Harvest Church. The value of being with God, the value of going with Jesus, the value of walking with the Spirit, and of course, the great value of loving others. I asked if I could uh, jump in on one of these themes in particular, because I, I have it on my heart to talk to you about walking with the Spirit. So today, I want to I talk to you about this, and here it is, the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. And uh, let's start, we're going to start with a, a sample of, of some New Testament scriptures that come from Jesus and the Apostle Paul, and, and uh, why, you know, why the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul was graced as a teacher and as an apostle, the special chosen vessel of Jesus, to lay the, the foundation of Christian doctrine in the church throughout the ages, and so we can trust with great authority the words that he gives us about the Spirit along with Jesus. But here it is. Here it is. Jesus starts off in John 14, 15 to 19, verse 20 and verse 26. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another. The great, the word here, another is the Greek word, a loss, another of the same kind. Another same kind of helper is coming to you. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know, one of the great mysteries of the Spirit of God is that he's doing miracles in you and no one notices. They see the fruit later on. They see the outworking of that later on. But when he's doing his work in you, no one really sees it with the natural eye. No one can really analyze it with their own natural intellect. He's doing a mysterious work in your life. But they'll eventually see the fruit of it. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, I'm going to be in you what I am with you right now. So we're not left alone, are we? Are we awake today? Yeah. We're not left alone, are we? I want you to get a little excited to, with me today. I was with a bunch of Puerto Ricans all weekend last weekend. Your most excited day is them getting ready to take a nap. In a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. You know, we're always saying that we're saved by the, the cross of Christ, which is absolutely correct. We're also saved by his life. It's not just that what he did on the cross, it's what he's doing now by the power of the resurrection in your life. He's giving you life. You're being reconciled by his life. You're being matured by his life. You're being blessed by his life. We heard the prophetic words of what God is to us right now in our present life, even as a church. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We have a guide. We're not left alone. Going on, John 16, verse 7 to 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, your advantage that I go away. For I do not, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to do three things. 
He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then Jesus breaks this down with these clauses after each category and defines them for us. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The root of sin is unbelief. The common denominator of all those that will spend eternity separated from God and in hell is this, unbelief. That's the common denominator. Guess what the common denominator will be of all those who dwell with God forever in heaven? Faith. Okay, the root of sin is unbelief. Why don't they, why don't they obey the Bible? Because they don't believe in the Bible. We're expecting people to act according to the Bible who do not have faith in it. Faith is the root of obedience. Unbelief is the root of sin. He goes on to say he's going to convict the world of sin. He goes on. To, I've lost my place in my own notes. He, will, he goes on to say this, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. They don't have faith in Christ. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And one of the beautiful things that Jesus did when he went to the Father is really twofold. One, his sacrifice was accepted. He lived a full, righteous life, a full, righteous life, and, and in that, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, dying for our sins, fulfilling the law on the cross, the punishment of our sin. God gives you and I a thing called righteousness. Amen? Everyone say, I am righteous. Now, you don't say that too often. You need to say it more. You are. You say, well, you didn't hear me talk to my wife this morning. I know. But you're still righteous. You're still righteous. I remember teaching the book of Romans to a bunch of interns in our, in our, in our internship program here that we had a, few, a number of years ago. And I asked one of the young men a couple of days later, I said, how are you doing? He goes, I feel righteous. I feel righteous. It's good. It's good for you to say that I am righteous. You are. You're never going to be more righteous in the sight of God than you are right now. And guess what? God is working in you to become righteous. In other words, to become who he says you are. Okay? But the world is going to be judged because their righteousness is relative. It's relative righteous. They, you know, it's not like people in the world don't grieve over evil. They grieve over evil or things that are done wrong. But their morality is relative. It's not lined up to the righteousness of God and his standards. And so, therefore, judgment will take place. Conviction will take place because that's where there are. He goes on to say here, and he goes on to, and he says this. He goes, uh, there he goes. And then it goes concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, Satan is doomed. He's not talking about his doom that's coming. He's saying it's already doomed. He, Satan was doomed at the cross. He was defeated there. He has no more claim on you. He has no more access to you. You say, well, I was attacked this week in a real spiritual warfare. Yeah, but you're here, aren't you? Come on. He, he, Satan is doomed. That's good news. Everyone say good news. Good news. Come on. Now go on. He goes, he goes on to say to his disciples, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, stay in the city. Come on, I want you to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Come on, the Spirit will clothe us with power. Going on in Acts chapter 1, Verse 5, Jesus said, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The word baptized means to be fully dipped, means to be fully immersed. It means to be fully plunged. It means to be fully soaked. 
Come on, this thing called the Holy Spirit is dynamic. It's not casual. If you have the Spirit of God, you're getting messed up by God. Remember when the prophets used to lay hands and they would come to our church and and prophesy over us and and destinies were created by faith in that. Nations were taken as a result of that. I remember David Schock would always say, let's lay hands on these guys. Let's ruin them for God. That's what happens when the Spirit of God comes on you. He ruins you for his purpose and for his glory. Come on, this is a dynamic thing. My, my first song I ever, ever learned in, in, as a Protestant coming out of a good Ave Maria Catholic background. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. I didn't even know that. Was, I was so foreign to him. I don't even know the last phrase of that. Okay. Anyway, it really meant a lot to me when I was 21. Paul's benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You know, Paul had a lot of Trinitarian allusions and things that he wrote about the Trinity. In this particular benediction, he, he, he alludes to what we call the Trinity. He talks about the love of the Father he talks about the, the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And when he says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, it's the experience of the nearness of God. May you be filled with the experience of the nearness of God. My grief for some of my brothers and sisters in Christ is that they don't enjoy intimacy with the nearness of God. They have a faith that it's supposed to be there, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Or that his promised presence is here because two or three are gathered. There he is. He, I don't know him. I don't feel him. But he's here. He said he would be here. But there is to be an experience of fellowship with the nearness of God. Paul goes on to say in, in Titus 3, 5 through 6, he says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, okay, but according to his own mercy he saved us, his compassion, his pity on us. By the washing of regeneration. Come on, when I, you say, well, I'm born again. Well, part of being born again is there's going to be a cleansing of things and washing of things away from your life and your heart and your thinking. And the renewal, this is new life, new life of the Holy Spirit, change. Now, notice what this Holy Spirit did. He has a, he has a, a, a clause here to define what the Holy Spirit did, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Come on, we have new life. He has poured out richly his spirit on us. Now, I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about my nine-year-old theological debate when I crossed myself as a Catholic. I was baptized at the age of nine as a Catholic. When my mom started taking us back to the Catholic Church when I was about eight years old, and everything was in Latin in those days, so I remember just looking at pictures in the you know, in this book they gave us while everyone was talking in tongues in Latin. People would say amen once in a while because they, they didn't know Latin either. They were just kind of on cue. They just kind of said what they said. But, but I had great faith in God as a, young, as a young elementary school child. And, of course, I did the thing where I dipped my fingers in the holy water coming in in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I had a, I had a theological debate. I, I get the Father, because okay, this father concept was, every kid knew the, 
You start a family with a father. So that, that, was, that was easy to understand. The son, because Jesus, you know, was, we had pictures of Jesus, statues of Jesus, and I heard about Jesus and the history of Jesus. And you know, I got the son, but I, I wish the spirit was uninvisible. How many people have ever wished that the spirit was uninvisible? How do I know the Holy Spirit is in me? How do I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to me? How do I know the Holy Spirit is here? I wish he was uninvisible. But nevertheless, he's here. Let's talk about the Trinity real quick here. Although limited in human terms, the word Trinity, which actually came to us through an early church father named Tertullian, we're talking about one God who consists of three persons, yet one God. And uh, we, we have an official ruling handed down to us by the ancient ones. Now, a lot of people say, well, Bob, I don't like when you kind of do this type of stuff because I believe the Bible. Well, God bless you. But this Bible, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to this Bible, but the Bible didn't fall out of the sky. Look what heaven brought us. Brought us a Bible. Actually, the council that we're going to kind of read this creed took place before they actually officially endorsed the 27 books of the New Testament. Now, these books that you and I read today as the New Testament were being circulated around, but these were the guys with the integrity that put it together and put their stamp on it that God used to say, this is it. And there was a great debate in the Roman Empire in 323 about Jesus not being God. So at a place called Nicaea, all these bishops came. Some of them limped in because they had just suffered serious persecution under a guy named Diocletian. They were those who preserved the Bible. They suffered much for their faith. And they came and discussed, and this is what they came out. It's called the Nicene Creed. And I want us to read it together. You want me to read it with you? Yeah, we're going to read it out loud. This is not the whole Nicene Creed. This is just a part on the Trinity I want us to get down just because I think it's a healthy exercise. You ready to do this with me? Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's go. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and all that is, is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We'll leave it there. Now, what's a creed? A creed is really a short public statement of faith of what we all affirm of what we believe. Remember I talked to you last time I preached about going after the word that the church learned together in community. They came together. They affirmed their faith together publicly. They were constantly reinforcing with each other what they believe. That's what that is. Not that we're going to start just reading creeds every Sunday, but I think once in a while it's healthy for us to make a statement of faith that we can all say amen to. Amen? amen. So this is one of the rulings from the ancient ones who gave us the Bible, gave us the New Testament. Now, so we can conclude a few things on this. And the first is this, that the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God in us. 
That's what this is all about. You have in you the personal presence of God himself. You know, Peter alluded to us being the living stones that make up a spiritual house. Paul in Ephesians 2 says we are being built together, together, you and I, to be a habitation of God in the Spirit. Now, God, in the Old Testament, he hung out in temples. Okay? It was the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was the temple of Solomon. It was David's tent. It was, it was these places where he hung out. Prior to that, where they built an altar in the patriarch days, the Lord appeared to them. That was the place that he made it. He sanctified that place as a temple where he appeared. We are now the temple of God. Individually, I'm a temple, and together, we're a temple. God is in me, God is in you, and God is among us. And you could kind of today could experience that nearness, could you not? Would you not agree with me that there was like an anointing here today? Not that there hasn't been the previous weeks, but you know, it's, I, what's, I always just, like, a, like I beat a drum until I won't beat anymore, that the, the, the key to growth is to get Jesus in the house. Now, he's here by faith. He's here because we, he promised he'd be here. But I'm talking about him manifesting himself. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit kind of going uninvisible and revealing himself in his power. Jesus is over there. Jesus is hanging out there. Jesus is doing things over there. So look at all this language we talked about. He's another helper. Come on, he, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Come on, he is in us. Come on, he teaches you all things. Come on, you can't understand the scriptures without the Spirit's help. Going on, he will convict the world. We heard about that. Now, God is not like Casper the ghost, by the way, running around the world and convicting and convicting and convicting. I know that God sovereignly has moved upon people's hearts, but what tool has God used that people would have faith? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. And so he's chosen the tool of preaching to activate faith in people's hearts. You can go to Acts 2.37. Peter, one of his nice politically correct sermons, user-friendly. He, he says, this Jesus, talking to this huge crowd, whom you guys crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says in verse 37, when they heard these words, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter, what shall we do? 3,000 people got baptized. What was happening? Jesus was fulfilling John 16. He will convict the world. He convicted them of their unbelief and what they did, their unrighteousness with what they did, and even the judgment that came even upon the earth as a result of that. He will convict the world. What else he can do? He's going to clothe you with power on high. He covers us with power. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to soak us. Well, we're going to be soaking in the Holy Spirit. What else did he say? We're going to have the fellowship, the nearness, the nearness of God. What else did he say? He said we're going to experience the renewal, the actual transformation of the Holy Spirit being in our lives. Now, sometimes as spirit-focused people, that's the way I'm going to describe us, some call us Pentecostals, we sometimes feel that we have a corner on Holy Spirit doctrine. And we kind of like, we got a special corner on this. But all denominations actually possess a strong conviction about the work of the Holy Spirit. But there are at times different emphasis than what they emphasize in that. So I just want to just talk about the difference in what a Baptist and a Pentecostal 
emphasize, will, will emphasize when it comes to the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. For the Baptists, come on, it's being formed. It's, a, it's, an, ethic, it's an ethical uh, focus. God is completing you, especially Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will complete it. The Holy Spirit's in you, forming you into the image of God. The Pentecostals, the emphasis, not that, it, that, not that we would not agree with the Baptists, but we would emphasize being used a power focus. God is using you. God is touching you. This came out really clearly way back, I don't know, when the Toronto renewal came, it was 94, 95, somewhere in there. And uh, there was uh, our church at Bible Temple, there was just a, a, a great fresh move of the Spirit of God. I, th I thought personally it was, uh, it was a time of great refreshing for our church and people were being touched, passion was being ignited, worship got deeper. I know that my daughter, Leslie, sitting right here, she was six years old. She was laid out under the power of God for 20 minutes and speaking in tongues. And, uh, and we used to lose her in church. We didn't know where she was and look around for her. And she'd be laid out the altar, just speaking in tongues and praying, laying out. That's the way she did it. She laid down, closed her eyes and just, just laid out at the altar. It had a great impact on her life. And many young people were touched and new converts were touched and I remember doing a baptism service one time and everybody I dunked in the water, I couldn't get them out of the water because they would stay under the water because they were so touched. They, didn't, they weren't culturally groomed for that. That's just what happened. I remember asking for people to come up to the baptism booth to help me and I felt like a bartender in a swimming pool. <laughs> but, but God hit the hit uh, the PBC campus with a great intensity with this move and they did a joint chapel with the students from Multnomah School of the Bible, which is more of a Baptist, traditional, evangelical approach to the Holy Spirit. They were having an experience of the Spirit of God. Our Bible college students were laid out under the power of God. Like, wow, he just moved. I mean, it was intense. We prayed for hours. One time after one meeting, we got home on a Sunday night, and about two in the morning, Sue sat up in bed, and she was talking in her sleep. She goes, bop, 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 bop. She woke me up. I said, what? They're all lined up at the foot of our bed. we got to pray for them. <laughs> that's, how many, that's how many people we were praying for. We were just praying for hours for people. What was interesting, you know, the, the, the PBC students were touching about how God touched me and how he touched me. You know what the, the Multnomah School of the Bible students were getting up doing? They were confessing their sins. They got up and said, God is really convicting me. And just, man, I've been confessing this. I've been so selfish. And, I've been, and all the, 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 the move at Multnomah was a move of repentance. The move at, at Bible Temple was a movement of refreshing and the power of God. Well, who was right? Yes, yes. God moved. God does both. But, you know, just the emphasis of that came to such a contrast to me of, how they view the Spirit, and, and I think we can learn from the Baptists, and I think the Baptists can learn from us. It's, it's not a yes and no, it's a yes, yes. We need at times allow God to just deal with our hearts and, and repent of things, and I appreciated what Kara said here a few weeks ago, that we've kind of lost this thing called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know how many people know that God can convict us still? Yeah. I wish you have arrived, but you haven't. Be comforted. You're still righteous. Say, I'm righteous. Okay, but, but you're not quite there in experience. Okay, God's bringing you there. So to walk in the Spirit, then, 
means that you are listening to what God is saying to you about, come on, about saying to you about what he wants you to know, what he wants you to know about him and yourself, and also what he wants you to do, both long-term and short-term. We're always talking about my destiny and my call and my this. You know what? God wants to speak to you about today. Today, if you hear his voice. You know, I was a young, aspiring preacher in a Bible college and a church that had so many great preachers, and it had the, they had a bench a mile long. And I said to myself, I'm never going to preach here. I might as well start preaching outside. And, you know, I just started preaching outside, and I'd go jogging and bring people home. Look who I led to Jesus, Sue, on my run. And uh, it was just fun. I did daily, I had daily encounters with the voice of God, and, and uh, it was joyful to hear him. You know, you're never going to get to your future if you don't listen to him today. It's now and then. And the other thing about what God wants to speak to you about yourself, we think it's all him pointing his finger at you and what you need to change. And, and, and there is discipline the Father. I'll get into that in a second. But he also wants to say good things to you. God likes to affirm. You know, he said to Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm what? Well, you say, well, that's Jesus. You know, the rest of the family's a mess. <laughs> now, God's, God's proud of you. Remember Dick Iverson talking about a prophecy that came to the church at Bible Temple. Someone got up, thus saith the Lord, I am proud of you. The church didn't know what to do. And, and Brother Dick said, because we live under so much condemnation, we didn't know how to respond. You know, he's, he's pleased with your efforts. He's pleased you're dealing with yourself. He's pleased when you're trying to obey him. He's, he's pleased when you're trying to walk. He, he's pleased when you're trying to learn. I'll never forget, it was about year five of this church, and, you know, I got my bouts at times with a little sense of insecurity and how I'm doing, and I was on my knees in my bedroom praying on an early Saturday morning, I said, God, and I asked this question, am I doing a good job? Am I doing a good job as a pastor? Somehow, Lord, I need to know, am I, are you pleased with me the way I'm pastoring? I actually had to come to the church right after that, and I drove in the church, and I went back to my office, and someone the day before had posted a cartoon picture of Jesus, and they put it right on my window. And it's Jesus with a big smile, and his thumbs up like this, and it says on the bottom, you're doing a good job, my friend. <laughs> so sometimes God wants you to know you're doing a good job. I'm, I'm happy with you. No, it's not like you arrived, but you need some encouragement along the way. He loves you. He's in this thing with you. It's not always just correct, 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 correct. And no, it's, it's, it's comfort. He comforts us. He encourages us. And so let's look at these scriptures, the ethical, the ethical part of him forming us in the image of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, these are all great things. Self-control. How many people live up to all these? All right, good. Against such things there is no law. In other words, if I'm following the work of the Spirit in my life, I don't have to be under law. 
Grace is already fulfilling the law as he's working it out in me to come out of me. And uh, it's interesting how these qualities are produced, those. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. How these qualities are produced? Well, I've crucified the flesh with its passions. That's how these qualities came out of me. I wish they came out of me, you know, when it comes to patience, for instance. How many people have conversations when you're in your car all by yourself with other drivers? (laughs) The light's green. The light is green. The light is green. Move over, buddy. Move over, my lane. Move over. I love what Peter said. Obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but be he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, here it is, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to know that he is holy. It's one of the first scriptures that actually that I learned as a believer through my own Bible study, that God wanted me to be holy as he is holy in all his nature. But he also, he wants us to also know this. He also wants us to know that we are secure in his love. For you did not receive, oh man, I'm getting some real signals here. Okay. (laughs) You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God wants you to be secure in his love. You know, Ephesians 1.13 says this, that we have a guarantee of our inheritance having been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul said in, in Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed. Now, what does it mean to be sealed? Well, in those days, if I sent you a document and I was a king, I'd roll it up in papyrus and I'd put my seal on it to close it. What that seal meant is no one intruded on this document. It's unadulterated, and it's officially from me. It has authority. What God is saying to you when he has sealed you is that you're his. Amen. The devil's not going to come and unseal you. He wants you to be assured you're his. You're going through this. You're going through that. You heard it prophetically today, the storms that come. Come on, you heard it today prophetically. You are his instrument. He wants to send you. You're his. I don't care what your week was like. You're his. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit promise to encourage you. Then going on, search me, O God. That's a nice one. And know my heart. Try me and my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me to the way everlasting. You know, it's no light thing to have God search us, is it? But the Spirit does. The Spirit does. The Spirit said to Philip, this is part of this Holy Spirit communion, go over there and join the chariot. So so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? We see the same thing with Peter, three guys. Well, Peter pondered this vision. The Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. I've sent them. Now, sometimes... The Holy Spirit tells us things without explanation. 
You know, people ask me sometimes, well, Bob, what's it like to be prophetic? I'm going to tell you what it's like to be prophetic. A true prophetic word usually looks like this. It is murky, it's fragmented, and it's limited. Now, I want the whole download like I'm a computer, and you're just uploading on me a whole message from heaven. No, it's not like that. That's why the Bible says you've got to prophesy according to faith. Because it is kind of murky. You're kind of prophesying. You've got to start believing that the words are there. Now, when you open your mouth, there is an utterance that begins to flow. But the Spirit wants us to allow Him to guide us daily. And what He wants to search our hearts about, what He wants to produce in our life, and what He wants us to do. Call this one. Visit this one. I want you to pray about this right now. I don't know how many times people have written me stuff that they were praying about and what God revealed to them. You know, you're praying about these things in your prayer closet and God leads you to pray about this thing over here and you don't even know why. You write someone an encouraging note. I was praying for the other day and this, this thought came. I just wanted to leave an encouragement. You could just salvage their life on them. Now, obviously, I didn't finish my sermon today, but the band has spoken. (laughs) But I do want to say this. Why did Jesus say that it was to our advantage that he go away? For reasons that that we don't completely understand, Jesus left us. You can imagine being the boys three and a half years. Guys, we're done. I'm going away. And but he just doesn't go away to heaven. He goes away to heaven to work on us from there, but he just doesn't go away. But he says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. I'll tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What is true is this. We would never become the people God wants us to become with Jesus staying around. You want to grow? You, it can't, you can't be on the old program. What's the old program? Your own efforts. Your own wisdom. Your own ability. Your own power. It has to be from his influence, his wisdom, his determination, his grace, his work. Come on, it's not you, it's him in you. Christ in you, Paul said, the hope of glory. So to become the people of God, God wants us to become in character and ministry requires the personal presence of God in our lives. This is why we got to do continual fillings. Come on, just let God just come and just say, Lord, fill me fresh. You say, why do I need to be refilled? You leak. I don't want to break down how you leak, but you leak. I leak. (laughs) Lord, touch me. That's why tongue speaking. I was just going to say, tongue speaking is so important. Why do I have to have a prayer language? Well, I call it God's dumbbell. He who speaks in an unknown tongue builds himself up. Paul said, I spoke in tongues more than all the Corinthians put together. I think it was one of the keys to his dynamic ministry. 
David Wilkerson rode a ferry onto Manhattan Island for 30 minutes every day. He's working with gangs in LA, I mean, gangs in New York. He would pray in the spirit for 30 minutes on that ferry every day. I need to be built up. I need to be stirred. I need continual searching of the word of God. Not just a little devotion, but do your research. Read books. Read, what, read the book and then read what others said about the book. Ask questions. Have discussions with people. Search for truth. Come on, continual listening. Come in our secret place. There's one other thing about when God speaks. He chooses the time and the place. You can't just say, Bob, go into the, your office and get a word from God. I can go in my office and hear nothing. He chooses a time and place. Charlie Sweet, one of the prophets that ministered this church, he was at the, he was at the uh, Heathman Lodge. He was ministering for us, but he was staying there. He had breakfast with his wife. He saw two men having breakfast. He said to his wife, he said, he said, Sharon, I have a word for those guys. We said, so you better be obedient and go give it. He goes over to this guy and he says, sir, my name's Charlie. I'm a Christian. He says, oh. And I believe you're a pastor, and you've been asking God this question, and here's the answer to this question. The guy just was shocked. He says, I am a pastor. This is my associate. We come from California. We said, we want to go somewhere. We're going to fast for three days to get an answer from God. So we took a map. We put our finger, and it landed on this city, and we found this hotel. We've been fasting in my hotel room upstairs for three days. God has said nothing to us. You just answered our question. God chooses the ground. Let's continue obeying. The more I know, the more I have to obey. Well, then I'll be ignorant. Well, that's worse. And lastly, continual growing. We grow. We go through the cycle and we grow. And we grow and we grow and we grow. You know, I told you before that God's not a cuddler. God is a trainer. He wants to produce something in my life, and he wants to produce something in your life. We're closing here. It's interesting, in Hebrews 12, 6, or excuse me, 12, 9, the writer says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we, and, we dis, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. And I don't call Leslie up. Leslie, you're in trouble. Come over to your parents' house, and you're going to be grounded for a week. I disciplined her for a short while. But here's the issue with the Father. We're going to be disciplined our whole time here on earth. You're going to have the dealings of God. But it's okay, because he wants to produce fruit out of your life and my life. We continue to grow, continue to be filled, continue to search, continue to listen, continue to obey, and continue to grow. Over and over and over again. We're spirit-formed people. Would you stand?